0: I would be Laim, the Shaytan regime, Smilah Rahman Rahim. Why don't scholars and Fuqaha update the religion of Islam? Why is it? that the seminaries and the seminarian colleges not address the relevant and contemporary issues of Muslims living in the world. Why is it that the ulama and the mujtahideen and the fuqaha and the seminaries not address the concerns of Muslims living in the West. Why is it that Islam is such a strict religion? Those are amongst the many questions that we do face from individuals living in the West. Those are amongst the most common questions asked by our brothers and sisters living in the United Kingdom, United States, Canada, Europe, and the entire Western world. And of course, we must understand brothers and sisters that Muslims all around the world face different challenges especially in the past year or so where the majority of the Muslim countries have been facing great tribulations and challenges our brothers in Syria our brothers in Iraq our brothers in Yemen however the challenges and the difficulties of the Muslims living in the West, living in Canada, living in Europe, living in the United States of America must not be overlooked. And of course, we live in a different part of the world. We face different challenges and we are part of a different culture that dictates its own tribulations and challenges. And many of the brothers, many of the sisters say those living in the Middle East and Muslim countries have access to the ulama, they have access to the scholars, they have access to the hawza al-ulmiyyah Therefore, they are better able to communicate their challenges to the ulama. And the ulama constantly address their problems. Constantly address their issues. When they discuss the fiqh and they discuss the matters of fatwa, the greatest attention is given to those living in the surrounding of the Muslim seminaries. And we're isolated. Nobody listens to us and therefore our challenges remain without solutions and indeed we do have a different culture we do live in a different environment maybe the hijab of the sisters living in saudi arabia or afghanistan or iraq requires or dictates that they may never put up put makeup or they cover their face, or they never speak to a foreign man. However, imagine a father or a mother living in the West with a young daughter. What do they do? They keep her at home so she doesn't speak to other men? Or she covers her face while driving? Or is it that they want her to go to college study, get a degree, become a lawyer, become an attorney, become a politician, become a journalist. Therefore the culture is extremely different. Maybe the hijab of a female in Saudi Arabia, in Iraq, in Qatar, in Kuwait, in the UAE does not give her trouble when she applies for a job. We said good, we don't mind. Whatever hijab you have, we don't mind. We'll give you the job. But maybe the same hijab, if acquired here, would be the main obstacle for this female to get the job. Or once this hijab is adopted, then it may be the number one reason of her being laid off from that job. Imagine another scenario. Muslim women living in the Middle East or Muslim countries mostly may find their spouse through family, through friends, through neighbors, through different relationships. So a woman does not really need to market herself as a potential wife for someone within a specific community. Therefore, she can afford isolating herself at her home. She can afford covering her face. She can afford not communicating with other men. However, imagine a woman living in Canada, in California, in New York City, in London. Now she's 35 years old. She's 37 years old, and she has yet not found a potential husband. Is it time that the house and the seminary begins discussing such issues and opens the door for discussion for the different forms of hijab and interactions in different parts of the world? Let me introduce you to another introduce you to another scenario. Imagine a realtor, a very powerful realtor, goes and shows a property to somebody. They like the property. The market is down. He has three kids. He needs to sell this property. Now the client happens to be a female. She likes the house. She wants to give a handshake and seal the deal. If this man refuses his hand, the deal is off. He cannot pay his mortgage. He cannot put his kids through school. Is it time that we open up the door to such discussions in the seminary? Is the seminary discussing the concerns of the Muslims living in the West? Let me introduce you to another scenario. Imagine you graduate from a top university, and a top company wants to make you a CEO. A 500 fortune company offers you a job as a CEO, but they say, look, we have a condition, you have to come clean shaved every day. Imagine a man hired by the United States Army, and he has a future there. By the United States Navy Forces, and they tell him our requirement is that you must come clean shaved to work every day. Are those discussions being introduced within the seminary and colleges or is it that they're absent? And don't tell me this isn't part and parcel of our day-to-day lives. Meaning every day you want to close a business deal or you have a client or you're introduced to someone and the opposite gender puts out their hand for a handshake. Every single day, some of the parents worry for their daughters. Why isn't my daughter being married? In our community, nobody knows her. Is it possible for her, for example, to have social media, Instagram, Facebook, post her pictures so others may get to know her and come and propose to her? I work at a 500 fortune company, and if I have my beard, they're not going to give me the same job, the same position that they might offer someone who's clean shaved. Those are our difficulties and challenges on a daily basis. Now the question is, are they being discussed in the Hawza? Are they being discussed in the seminary? And I urge you brothers, I urge you sisters, those who are listening, if you were to leave now or if you're watching on the television screens and you decide to change the channel, Don't go saying Jawad Kazwini says if you want to get a job and they tell you to shave your beard, it's okay for you to shave your beard. I didn't say that. Don't go saying Jawad Kazwini said that if your daughter is 35 or 40 years old and isn't married, she can take off hijab. I didn't say that. Don't go saying that Jawad said if you're a realtor, you can shake the opposite gender's hand. It's okay for you to do that. Islam says it's okay. I didn't say that. What's the reason behind this discussion number one it's for us to understand is the house discussing such issues or not that's one number two brothers and sisters the job of the movement of Imam Hussein, the school of Imam Hussein, is to open up our minds to allow us to think so that Islam comes and becomes part and parcel of our existence, our day-to-day activities. Therefore, we open those discussions so that we open the horizons for ourselves to understand, to contemplate on the verses of the Qur'an, the hadith and the legacy of Ahlul bayt and to draw conclusions. That is why I have decided to examine this topic tonight in the following manner. Number one, what is the correct manner of propagating the religion of Islam? What is the correct manner of tabligh, tabligh al-deen? Teaching, implementing, propagating the religion of Islam. Number two, nuzul Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send down the 78th ayah of Surah Al-Hajj, chapter 22, the verse I began the lecture with. Number three, what does it mean when Allah says, وَجَاهِدُوا فِي اللَّهِ حَقَّ جِهَادِهِ and struggle, do jihad, and the way of Allah in a manner that is suitable. Number four, what does the ayah mean? What are the implications of the ayah when the ayah says alaykum fiddini munharaj? Allah doesn't want discomfort, awkwardness, and difficulty to be caused by religion. Number five, we will examine an Islamic legal principle known as Ka'ida ضرر. Refuting harm, the principle of, refu- of refuting harm. Number six, how was it established? Number seven, how has it been discussed and implemented by the Fuqaha? And number eight, how did the Ashab of Imam Hussein refute and deter the greatest harm that faced the Muslim? Um Har Har. What is the correct mannerism of propagating the religion of Islam? What is the correct mannerism of implementing and teaching this faith? Unfortunately, sometimes some people say, you know what, the closer we get to scholars, the closer we get to ulama, the closer we get to religious individuals, the more difficult life becomes. As in, I cannot be a Muslim and follow all the Islamic laws and live comfortably in the West. The more I befriend scholars, the more I ask them, the more I interact with them, I find that religion is something extremely untouchable. The obedience of religious laws become extremely unattainable. So, what is the correct manner, brothers and sisters, of propagating the religion of Islam? Rasulullah wa wa was the biggest promoter and teacher of the religion of Islam. He was the demonstrator of Islam. And he says. I was sent to you with a religion of ease, of comfort. Not a religion and a faith of difficulty and stress. Abu Musa al-Ash'ari and Ma'adh bin Jabal, they were going on a journey as envoys and representatives of Rasulullah. So Rasulullah told them come before you go on this journey. I have to tell you some things. Four advice. Take it with you. Number one. wa وَلَا Tunafira. One. Give good news. Give glad tidings. Be kind when you speak. bashira Make people happy. وَلَا تُنَفِّرَ Don't make them run away. Then he said, number three, yassirah, number four, wala tu'assirah, Yassira, make it easy, don't make it difficult, number four, wala tu'assirah, don't make it difficult, don't make it seem like people cannot do this, it's unattainable, it's unachievable, one day a person became Muslim, so he told his friends, okay, now today I'm Muslim, what should I do? He said to him, you have to come to the masjid. He said, okay. What time? He said, Fajr. Before sunrise. He said, okay. So he got up before sunrise, he went to the masjid. Allahu Akbar. They prayed Fajr. The man was about to go to work. He said to him, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going to work. He said to him, all those 50 years you weren't Muslim. Sit in the masjid until dhuhr. Learn, see, read the Quran, see the surroundings, get familiar. He said, okay. Duhur time. He prayed Duhur. He was about to leave. His friend told him, where are you going? Two hours from now is Asr time. Stay. So he said, okay, two hours, we'll stay. After Asr, he was about to leave. He told him, where are you going? Couple of hours, Maghrib time. You pray Maghrib in the masjid. Maghrib in the masjid. After he prayed Maghreb, he was about to leave, he said couple of hours from now, an hour or so, Asha' time. Pray Asha' in the masjid. Prayed Asha' in the masjid. He was about to leave. He said, you're forgetting something. He said, what? He said, Tahajjud. Tahajjud al-Layl. You stand here in the middle of the night. You pray to Allah. So he said to him, you know what? I'll go back to my religion. This seems like it's not going to work. So sometimes... When we introduce Islam, we introduce Islam as this difficult, unattainable, unachievable religion with very complex and complicated laws. And I tell you, where does it start? Where does it start? From the rasal al-Amaliyah of the Maraja. Go open it. See if you understand it. It's difficult. An average person reads the Rasala, he wants to know what, how should I do my wudu', how should I do my ghusl, how should I pay my khums, how should I pay my zakat. Goes and says, okay, I follow this marji', let me open as Rasala. Opens the Rasala, reads once. I don't understand what is he saying. Ihtiyat al wujubi, ibaha, hurma, this, that. What is the difference between Ihtiyat wujubi? What is the difference between احتياط? What is the difference between and استحبابي? An average person doesn't know this. And then says, okay, I want to leave this book. I want to go read a tafsir. Goes and opens a book of tafsir al-Quran. Reads this tafsir. I don't understand. Closes this book. Let me go read a book about Islamic philosophy. Maybe I understand it. Believe me, after 10 years, I still don't understand it. Therefore, our job, brothers and sisters, is to make religion easy, comprehensive for the average people. And that was the very first message of Rasulullah. Speak to the people in a mannerism that they understand, that they comprehend. Don't speak to them in a way that they feel lost. What's this book saying? What's this alam saying? How am I to perform my a'mal al-haj? Today, life keeps on getting easier and easier. Imagine 15 years ago, cell phones were very hard to figure out, you know. Takes you three days, you have to play with a cell phone just to learn how to make a, a phone call or write a text message. But every time a new cell phone came, a new model came, they made it easier and easier and easier. Today, a three-year-old child, give them an iPod for three days, an iPhone for three days, they'll know how to operate Today we must strive to make the religion accessible to everyone. That is the proper mannerism of propagating the religion of Islam. And of course let me add this, I didn't want to say it but let me say it. Sometimes when we want to propagate the religion of Islam for those who are Muslim, right? But for example, they don't follow the religion of Islam in the best of ways in their lifestyle. For example, this person is used to certain vacations, certain attires, certain friends, certain places. Brothers, sisters, you cannot expect miracles. I've been saying this for the past several nights. Rasulullah didn't sleep at night hoping in the morning when I wake up, there's gonna be a miracle, Abu Sufyan is gonna be Muslim. My uncle, Abu Lahab is gonna be Muslim. I wake up tomorrow, and the Mushrikeen are going to love me and embrace me. Rasulullah didn't do that. Rasulullah did his duties, he worked hard, and he strived until he reached his goal and destination. Allah didn't send Surah Al Fatih in the first year of Ba'itha when He appointed Rasulullah. When Rasulullah did His task, when Rasulullah remained steadfast with His companions, with His Ahl al Bayt, that Allah says, jaa Nasrullah So how did He do it? Allah says in the Quran. If someone came and did salah wrong and Rasulullah did not have the akhlaq that he had, the mannerism that he had, he wasn't lenient and loving with them, they would have all run away. But with his akhlaq, with his mannerism, with his smile, he was able to attract them. Number two. Why was this verse revealed? Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala says, وَجَاهِدُوا فِي اللَّهِ حَقَّ جَهَادِ and struggle for the sake of Allah in the manner that is suitable. Then he says, هُوَاجْتَبَاكُمْ وَمَا جَعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ من حَرَج He chose you and he gave your religion that should not bring in your life any difficulty, any harm, any stress. Then he says, this is the continuation of the same religion that was sent to Ibrahim. So Ibrahim also had the same mannerism. Ibrahim's faith was also not difficult. Isa, Musa, Every faith was sent to bring ease and comfort and tranquility to people. Why was the 78th ayah of Surah Al-Hajj revealed? I'll tell you. A lot of people, they would not be able to go to jihad. The majority of the Muslims, they were able to go to jihad. They could stand, they could walk, they could run, they could carry a weapon, they could go to the battlefield. But there was a minority who couldn't. Why? Some of them were blind. Some of them were handicapped. Some of them were deaf. And they found that it's very difficult for us to go. So they would come to Rasulullah, Ya Rasulullah, we can't perform the jihad. We have to stay back home. Jihad is not meant for us. Others would come, they say, Ya Rasulullah, Some people, they can stand for salah, they can do the ruku, they can do their sujood, they can do their tahajjud. We can do ruku, we can do sujood. Maybe they have disabilities, their hips, their knees. The majority of people, they can perform siyam, they can fast. But some of them, they had different illnesses, they can't fast. Some people had the ability to go to hajj. Others, they cannot endure the a'mal of hajj, the tawaf, the sa'i, safa, marwa, stoning of the shaitan. So they came to Rasulullah, ya Rasulullah, this is causing difficulty for us. So what does Allah say? Jahidu fillahi haqqa jihad. Do that which you can. Do that which is suitable to your abilities. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and this faith and this religion is not meant to bring to you any sort of difficulty. Now, what does it mean when Allah says, Wajahidu jihad and do the jihad that is suitable for you? Give me your attention here. This is one of our challenges today in the Muslim world. Some people he wasn't good at sword fighting. He wasn't good at it. says, Ya Rasulullah, put me in the front line. Some people were not eloquent speakers. Ya Rasulullah, let me speak. Some people were not good diplomats. Why did Rasulullah send Ja'far? When they went to the king of Abyssinia, why did Rasulullah send Ja'far? Because he was an eloquent speaker. He had akhlaq He had mannerism. He had a family and prestige behind him. And they say that Ja'far was also good looking. So Rasulullah said, this is a man of diplomacy. Let me send him as my representative. So Allah says, look, your jihad, every person's jihad is different from another person's jihad. Do that which is suitable to your abilities. And this is our problem today. You have a physician. He's a good physician. He wants to be a sheikh. You have an attorney. He's a good attorney. He's good at what he does. He wants to go and do another job. You have, for example, somebody that has studied religion. He wants to become a president. You have somebody who's meant to be in the house. He wants to be a prime minister. When we switch the roles, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Each of you do your job, do your role in the mannerism that has been given to you. This is your jihad. And that's why we see many of the Muslim countries, organizations, and societies they have failed. Why? One example, with all due respect to them, is the Iraqi government. Why has it failed? Why all those years they haven't been accomplished, they haven't been able to accomplish anything? Because the people in charge are not suitable. They're not trained. Why is it that many of our masajid today are empty? You know why? Because the majority of the imams in North America, the majority of them, they don't speak the English language. the ones that speak the English language, they're not trained as imams. Most of them, if you go to New York City, every corner there is a small masjid. Who's the imam? The taxi driver. Drives the cab, time of Maghrib, goes and becomes the imam. And of those who have been trained in the hawza Some of them only physically live in Canada. Only physically they live in New York. Only physically they live in London. Only physically they live in California. Mentally, where is he? Somalia. Mentally, where is he? Pakistan. Mentally, where is he? Iraq. Mentally, where is he? Iran. Those individuals who take leadership positions, they must occupy that position according to their abilities. That's what Allah wants to portray in this ayah. If you can't do it, if you're not fit in this job, please remove yourself. If the entire nation says, We don't want you, you're not fit for it, remove yourself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, ما جعل عليكم في الدين من حرج. Here, the fuqaha discuss an Islamic legal principle also known as قاعدة لا حرج and another قاعدة named قاعدة لا ضرر. No harm. How was this قاعدة established? How was this Islamic Principle established. Rasulullah was in Medina. He had a companion by the name of Samara ibn Jundub. Samara, he owned palm trees. And he owned properties and land. So he sold one of his properties to a man. But he told him, this palm tree is not included in this transaction. You You buy the house, but this palm tree belongs to me. So the man purchased the property. Samar ibn Jundub, they're sleeping in the middle of the night. He barges in in the house. Why are you here? I'm here to check on my palm tree. (laughs) It's in the middle of the night. Come during hours when we're awake. He says, no, it's my palm tree. I come whenever I want. In the middle of the noon, the resting, the woman, the children are there in the house. He comes in. Why don't you knock? Why don't you tell us? He says, it's my palm tree. It belongs to me. I come whenever I want. This kept happening. So the man, the Ansari, he told Samara, listen, give us a specific time. Tell us every day at 10 a.m. I come and I visit my palm tree. We'll be ready for you. At noon, I'll come and visit my palm tree. We'll be ready for you. Come at night after Maghrib, Isha, we'll be ready for you. But don't come in different times of the day where it brings stress for my family. We bought this house for our comfort. We want our privacy. Samara says, no. So this man went to Rasulullah. I said, Ya Rasulullah. The Samara is causing us a lot of difficulties. We bought this house. He didn't sell us the palm tree. This is what he's doing every day. So Rasulullah says bring Samara. He, he came. Rasulullah says Samara. I'll buy the palm tree from you. How much? He said Ya Rasulullah it's not for sale. Rasulullah said Ya Samara. Give him the palm tree. And I will give you a palm tree in paradise. I don't want it. He says Samara, give him the palm tree, and I will pray for you to have your own garden of palm trees. This is a one. This is one palm tree. I will pray for you, Rasulullah. You'll have a garden of palm trees. No. Then Rasulullah says إقلاعوها, uproot it, وألقوها في وجهه and throw it in his face. لا ضرر ولا ضرر في الإسلام Rasulullah said uproot the palm tree throw it in his face for there is no harm caused by Islamic laws. Islam is a religion that deters harm. Somebody's being harmed, Islam stands in front of it. Says this is not acceptable. And of course This qa'adah, la dharar, is discussed in every book of fiqh, in every seminary of fiqh by the Muslims. What does this qa'adah establish, this Islamic principle, what does it establish? Number one, it establishes that Islam stands against any sort of harm. If it's harm towards the environment, Islam is against it. If it's harm towards humanity, Islam is against it. If it's harm towards the educational system of our children, Islam stands against it. If it's harm towards the freedom and liberty and equalities of people, Islam stands behind it. But yet we Muslims have not understood this principle. And how we can apply it in the West. Today how many of us? Get involved in the educational system. Fight for bills that ensure the education of your children. How many of us? How many of us turn to our politicians and lawmakers in order to perfect equality, in order to perfect freedom, in order to perfect the liberties and justice within our society? Islam says stand against any sort of harm. Deter the harm, remove the harm. Second, that this and this Islamic principle establishes is that it tells you if you were facing a road, both of them lead to some sort of harm. One leads to less harm and one leads to greater harm. You ought to take the one with less harm. What do I mean? They come and they tell you, listen, you have an illness in your body. We have to amputate one of your fingers. We don't amputate this finger, the whole body goes rotten. You're not going to survive. What do you do? Losing a finger, amputating a finger is not harm. But you accept the harm due to stop a greater form of difficulty. Are you with me? Now, listen to this. Many people say, Sayyidina, how is it that we can get involved in the diplomacy and political system of a country like the United States of America? Uh, United Kingdom? Don't you know that they have invaded the Muslim world? Don't you know that the majority of the difficulties of the Muslims is because of them? I tell them you face two roads, one with more harm and one with less harm. Which one are you meant to take? Don't represent yourself? You face harm and difficulty here. Represent yourself, you deter some sort of the harm. Sayyidna, how can we elect this individual He has views against the ethical and moral code of Islam. He promotes same gender marriages. How can I vote for him? It's haram to vote for him. I tell him you have one who will inflict you with greater harm and one who will inflict you with less harm. The Quran says take that route which brings less harm, to deter the greater harm. How is it possible that some Muslims, maybe scholars, would also meet with some politicians, diplomats, those who have established injustice different parts of the world, isn't it haram? I say yes. If he went to take a fat check from him, it's haram. If he just went for a meal, it's haram. If he went for a personal relationship, it's haram. If he went for a personal friendship, it's haram. But if he went to deter a greater harm from his community, it becomes wajib onto him. People would write to Imam Sadiqi ibn Rasulullah, we work for Bani Umayyah. We understand that they are the staunch enemy of Ahlul Bayt. What must we do? What does the imam reply? He says, if you can remove harm from your brethren, then stay there. If you can remove harm from your brethren, then it becomes mandatory unto you to stay there. In fact, I said this yesterday. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran says, amanu ila wujuhakum wa وَمْسَحُوا بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ Allah says wipe your head and wipe your feet. And the madhab of al-Bayt tells us to wipe our head and wipe our feet. The madhab of the sahaba says wash your head and wash your feet. This is the difference. A man comes to Imam al sadiq he says, يَبْنَ رَسُولِ Should I wipe my feet or wash my feet? The imam says wash your feet. Again, he asks him, Ya Abna Rasulullah, do I wash my feet or wipe my feet? The imam says, wash your feet. Three times he asks, he leaves. They tell him, Ya Imam al-Sadiq, Ya Abna Rasulullah, why did you tell him to wash and not to wipe? What did he say? He said, because if he were to go there and wipe instead of washing, they would wipe him and his whole family away. Isn't this deterring harm? Isn't this saving the life of individuals? That is why our scholars, Sheikh Murtad Al-Ansari, Al-Sheikh Al-A'zam, has written a book discussing La-Dharar. Sheikh Al-Shari'a Al-Asfahani has written a book discussing qaadatul la <laughs> al muhaqqiq al naidi Al-Mirza naini has written a book discussing qaidatulah and of course our brothers in their fiqh also discuss Qa'idatulah-Dharar Jalaluddin As-Siyuti an imam of the Shafi'ah who lived in Egypt said Ussis Fiqh has been established on five principles. (laughs) One of them is the principle of deterring harm. That is why if you look at those books, what do scholars tell you? They tell you for those in winters, unbearable cold, if he doesn't have hot water, should he do the ghusl? Should he do the wudu? Or should he do tayammum? They say, no, he has to do tayammum. They also say for those who cannot do the ruku' and sujood because of unbearable pain in their knees, in their hips, do they do the ruku' and sujood? No. They either sit or stand in salah. For those who, this is psalm, Tahara, salah, psalm. If you cannot fast for 16, 17, 18 hours a day, you make it up in the winters when it's bearable. For those who go to Hajj, I cannot perform the tawaf. My body doesn't allow me to perform the tawaf. I cannot go stone the shaytan with another two million people. I cannot, for example, perform the sa'i myself. So what does the fatwa say? You can't, you may use someone to push you on a wheelchair. You can't, you may give wikala to someone who has the ability to do it on your behalf. Therefore nowhere, brothers and sisters, the religion of Islam imposes that imposes onto us that which we cannot endure, that which will bring difficulty and harm to us. The religion of Islam stands to deter any sort of harm, and that was the essence of the movement of Imam Hussein. Not to deter personal harm, but to deter the greatest harm that the Muslim Ummah faced he says by abi wa ummi al imam al hussein in his very famous statement says Wahada hadha yazid rajul fasiq fajir sharib lil khamr mubih lil nafs al muhtaramah wa qad rakazni bayna ithnatayn bayna al salla he says this yazid who has taken the position of my grandfather and claims the Khilafah is a man who is fasiq, who publicly drinks and intoxicates, who kills the innocent souls. What did Yazid say? He says, whoever doesn't give me bay'ah will cut his right arm and his left leg, strip him from his clothes, and throw him in the middle of the streets so that he becomes a lesson for everyone else. When he became the khalifa, they told them a man stood. He said, I have a poem. I have a statement. Yazid said, go ahead. He said to them, Isma'u al khalifa This is the khalifa and whoever doesn't like, he drew his sword. This was the philosophy of Bani Umayyah. And of course, before him was his father. When he fought the people of Iraq, he went to Masjid al Kufa. He said, Look, I've killed you, I've destroyed you, I've destroyed your homes. Wallahi, Ya al Iraq, Ma Tasul, wa wa I did not fight you so that you may pray, or you may fast, or you may cha- pay charity. But I fought you so that I can manage you, so that I can govern you, so that you may be under my reign. But on the opposite side, the son of Ali ibn Abi Talib has a different philosophy. They came to him, they said to him, Ya Amir al now you're the Khalifa, there's a delegation from all over the Muslim world who wants to meet with you. The Imam, he had his sandal in his hand, he was fixing his sandal, and he had a servant by the name of Kambar. Kambar said, "Ya Amir al-Mu'minin, hurry! The delegation is there." So I said, "Ya Kambar, what is the sandal worth?" Kambar said, "Amir al-Mu'minin had taken the sandal so many times for stitches; it was ripped from everywhere." So I said, "It really was worthless." I told him, "Ya Amir al-Mu'minin, dirham—the least one penny." So he says, This whole khilafah, this whole reign, this whole governance is worth less to me than this sandal. If I cannot give justice to those who justice has been taken away from them. Allahu Akbar. This is why Ali took the khilafah, and this is why others took the khilafah. It's a different philosophy it's a different school and that is what drew Imam Hussain Wassalamu <laughs> alaikum wa rahmatullahi